Hello, everyone, and welcome to Freckled Foodie and Friends, a podcast focused on making healthy living approachable, hosted by yours truly, Cameron Rogers. Hello, people. I'm here in my apartment, so apologies beforehand if you hear any sirens in the background you're not getting pulled over someone once said that they like pulled over to the side of the road because they heard a siren um i'm here with my dad hi dad hello scout how are you i knew you were gonna say that um i'm not predictable how are you wonderful thank you for joining me i've been asking him for a while if he would be on here and he was in between jobs, which we can obviously get into like your career path. But when he was deciding what his next step was going to be, he, you, you wanted to figure out that first before you came on here. Right. Didn't want to expose my entire self as I was figuring <laughs> out what was next. Yes, that's true. Oh gosh. You think I'm so much bigger than I am and that more people listen to this. Anyway, you're huge to kick things off. How would you define success? So for me, it's very simple. Uh, it's about happiness. Uh, it could be unmitigated joy, but I would say happiness. It's a big word. Uh, ha- happiness <laughs> is pretty simple. Uh, and, and I had a, uh, above my computer at work, I had a saying that I think Jess had sent me, which is happiness is something to do, someone to love, and something to look forward to. I really like that. Do you okay. know where he found that from? I have no idea. I does sound like it might have been Freud. That might be a guess. Okay. Uh, but that might be pretty deep for this audience. We can go there. <laughs> the psychologist in you, which we'll also untap. Um, I really like that saying. I'm going to put it, So I really wanted to do a vision board. Do you, do you know what that is? Mm-hmm, sure. Um, but I've never, I've never made one. But obviously I have things that like I dream of doing. And... I kind of wanted to have them somewhere, but I don't have a desk to like put them above because this has kind of become my desk, my living room table or dining room, whatever this room is. Um, I mean, I don't want to just like have it out there for everyone. And so I'm thinking, you know, the sliding door in my bedroom. Hmm. I asked Joe if he would be okay if I kind of like made the door on the bedroom side a vision board of sorts because the only time that door is actually closed is when we're sleeping. And like no one even, see- so it slides in and no one's in our bedroom really. Now, is this a shared vision board or is it? He could have a half. I don't know if he'd be up for that, but I I would use majority of it. Obviously, he could have some of it. I think I'd go with uh, happiness. That certainly works. Yeah. Well, I want to put that saying in there. I like that saying. Yeah. Something to do is, you know, we're activity junkies. Someone to love is pretty obvious. And I'm a huge believer having something to look forward to is incredibly important. Me too. But I think I struggle with that sometimes because I feel like, like you said, we're activity junkies. Mom is definitely like a planning person, and I think I got that from her. And I feel like I always have something to look forward to, which is such a blessing. But sometimes I look forward to things so much that I forget about the present, (laughs) and I struggle with that. I actually use the something to look forward to as almost a way of treating myself for all the work that I'm doing. Okay. So, What's your favorite way to treat yourself? Hashtag treat yourself. Treat yourself. I got so many. Uh, It could be standing at the grill in a pair of shorts and a t-shirt down at the beach. Not a t-shirt, a muscle tank. Uh, That could be too. Uh, (laughs) Guns are out. Uh, It is as simple as going out to dinner with mom or more importantly, like this weekend, having all my girls and their guys down Mm -hmm. for everything from as raucous a 30th birthday party as we had that to, was wild. to actually having everybody together to say goodbye to, to Zoe when we had to put yeah. her down. I mean, that, you know, having those kind of, that mm-hmm. set of connectivity for both joy uh, and also sadness, but being able to share as a family. Yeah, it was a wave of emotions. It was, it was a lot. Big ups and yeah. it was a painful goodbye. This We're recording this right now on the Monday after Joe's 30th birthday, which if you follow my Instagram stories, it was wild one it reminded me it was a lot of like our wedding after party that was the vibes fortunately they couldn't hang from the rafters because then it could no you know the callahans asked they were like do you think we can get up there i'm like no they're probably stronger than the ones in the barn from cedar lakes but they were way higher and the stakes were much higher um and then we unfortunately had to put down our family dog zoe who is 15 years old around 15 cockapoo and she lived a great life but it was just very clear Although I determine what I'm doing tonight. It's me and Scout by a fire watching the NCAA football finals. It's just the two of us. That'll be nice. Yeah, keep them company. I forgot forgot mom's not home. Um, Okay, so why don't we start? I'm trying to think of how logistically I want to do this because I did have people submit questions. And I actually really enjoy all of the questions. But I also want to give some background 
on you. So can you give us, and this is not like I asked you to do a five-minute wedding speech and you did a 20-minute one. Can you give us a short synopsis? If I recall, you timed it at 27 minutes. Was it? I didn't time it. I was way too busy listening and crying and laughing. Good. I'm glad I I got all those out of it. Um, But can you give us your kind of brief history of where you're from, what you do, what you've done? Sure. And then we'll obviously dive in deeper. So raised in Columbus, Ohio, uh, largely by a single working mother. Uh, My father died when I was six. Uh, My mother ended up remarrying when I was roughly 13. We moved to Philadelphia. I moved from Columbus, Ohio, uh, a town in Upper Arlington, a town that had no racial diversity, no ethnic diversity, not even religious uh, diversity, Mm -hmm. to Center City, Philadelphia, uh, which we can get into. You lived in Center City, Philadelphia? Mm -hmm. Right across from the Art Museum. I never knew that. I think I've pointed out the building that I lived in across from the okay. Art Museum. So well, I never know if it's like when you were mom. I don't know. So uh, we, I lived there for two years. I went to a Quaker boys' school. I uh, had to wear a sport coat and tie, and I took the bus through North Philadelphia, the A bus. And Jamie and I were pretty much the only white kids on the bus. Jamie's so his brother. Little brother, four years younger. And then we moved out to the suburbs, uh, out to the main line, to Gladwin, which is where I subsequently met your mother, which we can get into, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. Uh, Went to Lafayette College, largely because I applied only to one school where I thought I was the top recruit, and I made a big mistake. And so, thank goodness, old Billy Oaks suggested maybe- Who's my papa? So my uh, then girlfriend- I'm just giving like some background background information. So my then girlfriend's father and father-in-law suggested that I should be going to Lafayette. And so he helped arrange that, thankfully. Do you think he did that solely so that mom would go after you? (laughs) I know he loved you, but like I'm sure that was part of it. Like, oh, if I get John into Lafayette, then mom, Cindy, will definitely go. The great thing about Billy is he never manipulated things on his behalf. He never uh, would have he, done he that. Did, he did things only out of the goodness of his heart. And, and by That's the way, it, it was all to save me because I had really messed up. Yeah. And then uh, from there went to a five-year doctoral program in clinical psychology. Um, and from there went into consulting, spent a couple of years doing consulting work, and then worked at American Express for almost two decades, um, 19 years. And I left there as president and CEO of Consumer, so I ran a couple of businesses, like the card business, the travel check business, and the travel business. Mm-hmm. And then spent the last eight years at City running the global cards business and consumer services. Took a year to unplug, uh, discover what's next. Everything, I looked at everything from early stage startups to public CEO jobs. Mm-hmm. Enjoy and your two daughters' weddings during the year. I enjoyed myself, <laughs> and I was so able to be present in ways that if I was... Very in my true. old jobs, uh, there's absolutely no way. And then the last uh, three months, I've been working at a growth equity firm uh, called General Atlantic. And thank you for actually, you kept that very short. And I felt like I had things I wanted to dive into. So I've had it, my friend. Regarding, you touched on it, but like high school days where you weren't focused on academics, you know, you only applied to one college um, and you didn't really apply. Yeah, well, you did, but I, like. I, I'd say in, in, in high school, I had a immense amount of intellectual curiosity, mm-hmm. and there were subjects that fascinated me, and others that I found very easy, uh, like math stuff I always found easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took advanced placement psychology because I was interested in that, but there okay. are other things that I wasn't. I, w- I would say I wasn't uh, book smart and studious, okay. um, whereas mom would underline her underlines. Uh, yeah. I would maybe crack a book every now and then, so okay. from a discipline standpoint. Um, and I was also very social and uh, you know there was friends in the lower lot which was uh, the potheads there were friends mm-hmm. in the upper lot which were the preppies there were the friends that were the jocks in the in the middle of the lobby you and like the, to have the, fun and then there were the you know the serious serious advanced placement nerds who were hanging in the, in the library and mm-hmm. i actually was felt close with all of them you're very well versed well thank you and then you end up at lafayette you're playing lacrosse there and academics I'm I'm just curious because it's so interesting. I think people see you now that are a part of my life. They're like, "Oh my God, your dad's such a businessman. He worked so hard." Like you do, a hundred percent. But I think then they also find out this other side of you, which is funny to me, of like you know you cared so much about lacrosse and you were partying and you maybe didn't do that well in academics. But then also like how you went off to be, you were a psychology major, correct? Yep. And then are you trying to hold in your burp? No, go ahead. Oh, it seems like you were. 
and then you go to grad school. But then how the hell did you end up at Amex? Like that's what I think throws people off. And the siren in the background is going to drive me crazy. I don't even hear it, so I'm blocking really? it out. I can hear it, but I'm just blocking no, it No, I'm out. just hoping it's not yeah. being up by the mic, but whatever. Um, so in, in some respects, uh, you know, it's a whole series of contradictions. So there are things that I did that were very adventurous, like, you know, hitchhike across the country when I was 18 with my best friend, Jeff Lorette, mm-hmm. uh, to at times apply myself in things I was really interested in. I'm here to do some myth busting that your mother loves perpetuating the notion that somehow my GPA was not even two. That's not at all true. <laughs> my Mother-in-law or mom? Because mom says that too. Uh, your mother. Okay, the sirens have pretty much passed. You were saying mom did start a rumor that you didn't have a GPA above, above a two. A, 2.0 my freshman year, which was... Which I've heard many pat- times. Patently incorrect. And I would say that when I, I, I got like to college, I, I had a... You know, I'd be glad to dig up some <laughs> evidence. I'm sure President Byerly could find my yeah, old records. I uh, That's the president of Lafayette. Um, I, I would say that I had a great time my freshman, sophomore year. Mm-hmm. By the end of my sophomore year, I was working at a residential treatment facility called the Devereux Foundation. Uh, working with kids who had had psychotic episodes uh, while in college, and it was kind of a halfway house. They'd been hospitalized, and then this was a halfway house where they were beginning to study, take classes, get jobs, and at phenomenal schools. And you know, to make a long story short, the the psychologist who I was working with um, realized that uh, I was immensely interested in it. And I was thinking about a PhD program, and he said to me, with a two point eight grade point average there's 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 no way that you will get into a phd program they're more demanding than medical school and he also said to me and i know that you struggle with attention in terms of (laughs) staying focused on things because you are very active and rambunctious and you need to sit at your desk and even if you can't concentrate on the book look at the wall until you get your concentration back and i was for the next two years unbelievably disciplined in terms of preparing and studying and thinking and and that next year, I got into a PhD program in, in clinical psych because my GPA was above 3.5 okay. in the last two years. Fair, fair, fair. So you were, you then went to, does it now, is it now De- um, so Drexel it, or does it now not exist at all? So it was Hanuman Medical School and then it was acquired by Drexel. So then it changed its name to, to Drexel. And it was a five-year doctoral program. It was a, a side program so that each year you had internships to work with folks. Uh, as opposed to some PhD programs that are very research uh, oriented, mm-hmm. I and mean, I still took two years of graduate school stats, which yeah. came in handy subsequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last uh, inter- doctoral internship I had was at Swarthmore College, a small school outside of uh, Philadelphia, where the school had had a whole series of kind of suicidal gestures. Uh, and actually, I think one, if I remember, one student had, had killed themselves. And, so they brought in a guy from Harvard, it was Lee Whitaker, to do an intervention, and Lee hired me as his uh, assistant. And so I saw students from 7 in the morning till 7 at night, 50-minute sessions and 10 minutes to take copious process notes. And I loved everything about it and my other uh, internships. I focused on at-youth risks, you know, mm-hmm. young kids and adolescents. I felt like there was always hope there, you know, open Pandora's box, what's left is hope. And I felt really um, capable working with uh, challenging adolescents. But I also realized that as much as it was intellectually uh, stimulating, it was emotionally gratifying, and I felt good at it, I also realized it was incredibly isolating. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that it was one-on-one, hour after hour, and I had grown up uh, surrounded by people, I, um, being on teams, leading yeah, uh, efforts. And, and that was so core to who I was. Um, so I can remember talking to your mother and saying, you know, I think I, I'm going to make a switch. She said, boy, you could have thought of that before your <laughs> fifth year of, uh, of a program. Uh, and also, I'd say the other thing that influenced it is, is Cindy, um, uh, when she was in grad school, uh, she would... Uh, come home with case studies uh, and oftentimes pull out her HP-12C thinking that it was a math problem uh, when, in fact, it was an organizational problem, which is what was going on at Swarthmore, too, the, mm-hmm. just the pressure they put uh, the students under. It wasn't like somehow the student body was different. And so I started getting interested in, in business, and at some point we can talk about all the different things that uh, attracted me to business when I was in high school growing up, and different jobs that I had. But to me, I, I realized that, you know what, I, I needed to make a switch, and I could make a switch somewhat easily into consulting given my background. Mm-hmm. And I think what you said is, I mean, it definitely resonates with me because I think it's something I am constantly thinking of or brainstorming and consciously aware of 
going from a very team-oriented job to now being on my own. And it is 100% can be very lonely, which is why I've made certain changes in my life, such as getting Charlie to just be in the apartment when I am here, but also making sure I'm taking more time to be in group areas and conversations. And I have a group of girlfriends that we talk about as if we're colleagues, like talking about what we're doing and what we're charging for certain things and vice versa. But it's amazing for you to have made that switch. Did you feel when you entered, um, I almost said J.P. Morgan, when you entered American Express, were you? did you ever feel any sort of as if you were behind? Because all these people, were you older than the people that were starting with you? Like, yeah. were they right out of college and you're kind of older and you're like, oh, I've just done five years in grad school, like for psychology, something so different, but obviously applicable. Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, I honestly don't remember feeling that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think over the course of my career, I've ever been um, very attentive to like the level, like who's doing what, who's yeah. my age, what background do they have? I mean, I was obviously surrounded by all MBAs. I mean, nobody had a PhD mm-hmm. in clinical psych. Uh, and I wouldn't say that that was something that acted as a differentiator in a positive way. It was, right. uh, but the fact is, that, you know, the, it was the work that actually differentiated. And I also felt like I was in an environment that was a true meritocracy. Like if you if you mm-hmm. if you got shit done, if you knew how to you know operate, and you were good operating as, uh, as a member of a team, that ultimately it shows up. Uh, and so I didn't necessarily feel behind. I guess the other thing is when I went from consulting in, in a uh, a long story I won't share, but I, I basically, on a consulting assignment, I said to the head of HR at American Express that I didn't think that we should do this project. Mm-hmm. She turned to me and said, are, are you telling me, you're, you're, a, you're what level at, at the consulting firm? Are you telling me as head of HR that you're not going to do a multi-million dollar project that I'm asking you to do? And I, I said, well, I, I guess if you put it that way, uh, yeah, I guess I am. Mm-hmm. And she said, I just want to make... Clear, this is a multi-million dollar project. I said, yeah, I just don't think this is what is needed right now. Gave her a couple other thoughts. She goes, okay, thank you. I got back to my office and the uh, uh, head of the uh, region, the eastern region, called me in his office. And I said, is this about the conversation I had done at American Express? And he said, absolutely. And I said, so I'm in trouble? And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, I did say no to a big project. And he said, no, it's just the contrary. I, that's what we'd want uh, people to do. I don't mm-hmm. be very clear about principles in terms of how you make decisions. So uh, that was very principle-driven. But by the way, Bonnie, the head of HR, would like you to come back down and, and talk to her. And I, and I said, about? And he said, well, she'd like to talk to you about a job down at American Express. And I said, so I am oh, in trouble. Oh, so that's, okay, I yeah. never knew this. Yeah, so I, I said to him, I said, so I am in trouble. You tell me that I, I have to leave the firm? And he goes, no, just contrary. Of course we want you here, but, you know, American Express could be a, a great place to work, too, and the head of HR is interested in you. So sure enough, I went down there, and she uh, convinced me that I should work for the chairman of American Express International on a big strategic project, reorganizing things. And then the extended play version of this. And so I, I th- two days before I'm to start, she says, oh, could you come back down and talk to Rick and I? I said, Bonnie, I, I already gave notice. Um, like I, I don't have a job. It, it, are you tell mm-hmm. me that there's not a job there? She goes, no, 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 come down. We'll talk. I have a great conversation with Rick, who was chairman of America's Press International, and go back to my office. And Bonnie said, so did he tell you? And I said, tell me what? And she said, he didn't tell you? I said, Bonnie, what's going on? She goes, come on, I'm going down to his office. She walks down and she goes, Rick, how could you not talk to him about how we're thinking about him for American Press? And Rick said, well, he's going to work on the big project for me, and I guess you want him to be your head of international human resources. And I looked at him and I said, personnel? And she looked at me and she goes, it's not called personnel, it's called human resources. And I said, <laughs> but Bonnie, I, I've never done any of that. She goes, well, you got a PhD in clinical psych and you seem to kind it's of know how to applicable. solve problems. So uh, I got home that night and I said to Cindy, I thought I was running a big strategy project for the chairman of American Press International and I've just been made head of international human resources with four VPs in each region who are probably 50 years old reporting to me. <laughs> and I said, I think it's, uh, somehow my career has just shifted and I'm not sure it was a good shift. Wow. Well, but it was a good shift. It was a good shift. We had an agreement that I'd, I'd do that for 18 months and then move into a, uh, a business role. I never knew that story. So while we're talking about mom and this stage of your life, we talked about this a little bit on mom's episode, who she was also a guest on my show. If you haven't listened, it's another great episode. Um, But I say a lot of times like mom, I think is given a little bit of the shit end of the stick of 
judgment when people see the two of you or like just meet you guys because you've been so successful in your business. And since mom has had us, she's from a young age of mine, she's primarily been her main job as just focusing on raising her children, which is a hard fucking job. But I think people just assume like she never, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think people understand. So, so, that so she, let me flip it. No, no, no. I'm saying, I don't think that people assume that she went to Wharton and got her MBA and was an investment banker and all of this. Can you give us your side of the situation when you guys were dating and how that decision was made of mom leaving her job? Sure. But before that, uh, three quick things. Yes. First off, Lucy didn't believe it until she finally saw a diploma. Uh, she still claims she doesn't. I know. <laughs> Secondly, I could flip that perspective and say, in the circles that I spend time in, in Princeton or with our mm-hmm. friends, I think Cindy is put on a pedestal because oh, of what, what a powerful, powerful mother she is. And, and by agree. the way, the product, which is the three of you, has turned out pretty I meant from well. a younger perspective of like people, like not my friends because my friends love her to death, but people who are growing up and everyone's like, oh, what do your parents do? Yep. You know so, what I mean? So let me start with that. It, it, so we had a uh, holiday party at uh, General Atlantic just, uh, j- uh, just back in December, and uh, Cindy – uh, was there and met a ton of people. And the number of times that her career came up, her Wharton mm-hmm. MBA, working at DLJ, being an investment banker, working on M&A transactions. And so very quickly, people uh, appreciate it, mm-hmm. certainly in business circles. Yeah. Uh, to go back to your uh, original question, I mean, first off, it was pretty funny when she was working in investment banking and mm-hmm. making you know good, really good coin back then when we were young. I'm still working on my PhD, if you think there was a single person in that office that understood what the heck I was uh, was doing, right. or whether exactly. there was any value creation there, like what's when, your boyfriend doing? When they would do their offsites, I can remember one that was down in the Bahamas. Uh, the form that was sent out to all the spouses uh, suggested attire, and it was probably all attire for females. All attire for females. <laughs> That's <laughs> and, not surprising. And, and the sign-up sheets for tennis was, you know, you were signed up to play with women. Um, <laughs> which I thought was highly entertaining. I said, well, I'm going to win that trophy. I've had to do my damnedest. Um, the, uh, so the, the reality is that you know, it then shifted uh, where I began to you know, uh, have more success on a professional level in a business environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Cindy did not just kind of cut the cord. She no, went to, I know. to you know, kind of three days a week, two days a week, and stayed involved. Um, but it was also one of those things that said, look, it, you've been doing a ton of heavy lifting, you know, I, there's mm-hmm. there's a path I can see uh, to success. I can't give you probabilities, but, you know, let's kind of shift this. And, and by the way, if we're going to move out of the city, uh, there's just no way that the two of two us of are going to commute. Or two of you. Particularly from Princeton, which most of my friends think I live in West Virginia. I'm so far south. Right. And that was actually a question. How did you guys pick Princeton? So, um, without bashing towns, but I mm-hmm. will suggest we looked at a bunch of different communities starting, had a bunch of friends up in Greenwich, Connecticut. It's beautiful there, but it just mm-hmm. felt too homogeneous uh, uh, for me. The same is true in northern uh, New Jersey suburbs, uh, which just felt, uh, again, very homogeneous. Uh, Westchester felt like the other side of New York, and given the fact we had family in, in Philadelphia, it just, just didn't see it as, as practical. And one day we were driving through, um, uh, driving home to, to Philadelphia to see both of our sets of parents, and um, uh, we drove through Princeton and I had honestly, I got out a compass and I'd do, you know, 30 miles and then 40 miles mm-hmm. and 60 miles. And I would look at, you know, public school systems and, and a whole bunch of other things. And so I was very disciplined about the kind of criteria. Also, you get into Princeton, it's absolutely beautiful it's campus. You no got, town compares to it. You got people that, from all over the world there from the uh, Institute for Advanced Studies and all the professors. And so, mm-hmm. and it's just a, a very vibrant, uh, both academically and athletically. Uh, and it just, Felt like an immediate fit. I remember the uh, real estate agent was taking us around, and I said, so uh, can I use the gym? <laughs> and, 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 she, and she said, oh, yeah, the university gym. They have a, a family membership. It's kind of expensive. And I said, well, how much is it? And she said, well, 450 And I was like, oh. She goes, no, it's 450 a, a year. You understand? And I said, $450 for a family for I'm a year? I'm actually surprised. Oh, for a family. I was going to say I'm surprised. It was almost that expensive back but then. But for a year? Yeah. Oh. And, uh, Freaking and, Equinox and, two sixty a and month then, for then, one person. Then I said, "How about indoor tennis?" She goes, "Oh yeah, there's a fee though. I think it's probably eight dollars an hour to yeah. play in the city with seventy five. <laughs> and I said, "Well, how about the library?" And Cindy said, "Jet enough. Like, I think you have enough access. <laughs> you're near the campus. You <laughs> yeah, cannot yeah. pretend like you're a student, though." Um, I mean, I love Princeton so much. 
And while we're on the topic of, well, actually, let's let's keep career for a bit. So, someone asked how your career informed my own career path. Hmm. I've never really thought about that, hmm. and I think I would love your input as well. But for me, when I was deciding what I wanted to do after college, I had wanted to be a sports broadcaster of sorts. I wanted a microphone. I wanted to be on TV. And sports was just what I cared about. And so it seemed like the best fit. But I remember vividly having lunch with mom at Teresa's and her saying, you need to apply for an internship. You can't be a lacrosse coach over the summer for the rest of your life. And so when I told her I wanted to apply to all the sports broadcasting, she suggested since you were in business and finance of sorts and mom had been in finance and I was an econ major, which I just really chose because of you two, um, She's like, why don't you just apply to sales and trading? So I think that you guys definitely informed my initial role in this world. But I almost think that the work ethic had so much more to say on my career and call it success of what you guys instilled in me versus like what I actually was assigned to do. Because when I left to do what I'm doing right now, I think they were characteristics and traits that were very clearly laid down from YouTube, but it wasn't like I'm following your footsteps in this aspect. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I think the persistence, the really thoughtfulness aspect, not just going into this whole thing without really thinking it through. Like I spent a year contemplating if it was something I could do. Remember we had that those drinks at Anfora where I was like, I really want to do this. And then after that, I kind of had accepted I'm not going to do it, and then the accident happened. But I think it's more about the traits you've instilled in me as a daughter rather than following your career. So I I would completely agree. But I think it's, uh, like many things, I think it's fairly layered. I think at your core, you are just a fearless individual, but also caring. It's a pretty unique combination. You also are you know, deeply uh, from our DNA, both in terms mm-hmm. of uh, mm-hmm. how, how we operate, both how you've been socialized, but also kind of who you are. In a family that just gets shit done. Yes. It's very, uh, very- our house runs on 100 miles per hour. And, and very activity driven. Uh, but at the same time, I think that, you know, you're a problem solver. Uh, and, and so that I think, and, and you're comfortable in relationship uh, places and you're comfortable in competitive places. And so I'd say it, probably was more mom influencing that dis- discussion about where. Right. Because I think, to be honest, I, I was always pretty comfortable wherever it was you were going to be interested. I agree. It was also pretty practical in terms of it, it was a natural kind of fit. And then, to me, I mean, clearly you distinguish yourself in terms of, of performance that was all yours. That has nothing to do with the two of us. Mm-hmm. Making the switch to this, I think, was an incredibly courageous thing, of which, while we talked about it a whole lot, um, I, I think that you did all the deliberate things uh, in order to figure it out, um, both trying to do it while you were working, having to have to have compliance signed off on it from <laughs> J.P. Morgan. Uh, from my quote-unquote babysitting money. Yeah, to uh, to then figuring out you know how to make it work. And to go back to what you're talking about and how to make it work so if this is a slightly isolated um, mm-hmm. profession, uh, how do you build a network around you that creates that connectedness. The other part is you don't know where this is going to go. I mean, no there could idea. be a, a big team of people working with you and mm-hmm. you could build it into something. Whereas the discussion we we're having about my work in psychology, that was just the lane lines were locked. Right, uh, like yeah, that was your that, role that, for that the was foreseeable for, future. For the next several decades. Mm-hmm. Whereas this one can evolve organically right. in ways that are kind of fun and in ways you can influence, like, mm-hmm. you, like bringing a group of people together. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I, I love that about this role. It's something I... You know, I obviously am a planner, so I struggle with knowing. I, my, I have a fear of the unknown, so I struggle with the fact that I don't know what's exactly to come. But then I also try to look at it as it's really exciting and it's getting me to places that I never would have guessed. And while we're on that, um, another person asked was, what were your thoughts or views when Cameron left her corporate job to pursue this new career? Dun, dun, dun. Proud. <laughs> I'm absolutely proud. 
Um, to me, I, I, it was it was very easy to be proud of it because it was a courageous decision. It was a big move. Mm-hmm. But I, I'd say it was influenced by a couple of things. The conversations you and I had about the future of sales and trading, yeah. which I, I tend to agree with your belief that, you know, over time, are all those activities really needed? You mm-hmm. know, couldn't that, in fact, just be replaced with Definitely. data analytics and, and, and basically digital assistance that, you know. You much more, less error. So there was that very thoughtful conversation that you led, not me. Um, in fact, I can remember you, because I actually, I don't know that I ever gave you a lot of, other than being on a team, I don't know that I ever gave you finance-driven guidance, because I can remember you calling me yeah, one, one morning at like 10.30, and you said, oh my God, did you see the jobless report? And I was like, what are you <laughs> kidding me? I, I run a long-tail business that yeah. is a flow business. I don't look at transaction stuff. As, and then I can remember you, before that, before you accepted your first intern or second internship, you called me and said, I, I think I'm going to have three offers, you know, one, one in, in the mm-hmm. muni group and one in high yield and one in some other group. Yeah. And dad, what should I do? And I remember saying, Kimmy, uh, I have no effing idea. Mm-hmm. And you're like, dad, you're in finance. <laughs> well, that's like people always ask me, and I'm sure you get this too, like, oh, what should I, like if I said I worked in sales and trading, they're asking me questions about like 401ks and long-term investment plans. And I'm like, that's so, so different, different than what I'm and doing. I, I ran consumer businesses. So yeah. the institutional side, I mean, I spent time with those guys on mm-hmm. management committees, but I, I didn't spend time in terms of how they operate. And I remember my advice to you was, well, who do you think is the best team? Who has the best leadership? And where yeah. do you feel? Because that's what, you know. And so that kind of, of coaching, I think, you know, I or we delivered, but not precisely what to do. And so when totally you had agree. decided that you were going to do it, you'd already thought about the future of the career that you were in. You'd already spent plenty of time talking to Joe about it. That was uh, mm-hmm. obvious. You'd already saved up money and were very deliberate about kind of what your burn rate might be and how long you, I mean, which yeah. is what I talked to a lot of early stage startups about in terms of mm-hmm. you know, how they do what they do and how thoughtful they are about what's realistic versus what is maybe mission driven and purposeful and, you know, a moonshot, but not a clear plan. I thought you had a very clear plan. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. And someone also actually asked, what are three things um, that you would suggest people do to help with their career? Or like, was well, another question was, was there any career advice you gave your daughters? And I think you answered that in the sense of your advice was always more team-oriented around sports, which I think obviously is applicable to career. But it was more personal traits, less this is how you do your job. Yeah, it's it's tough to give universal truths or some mm-hmm. broad how do you be successful um, because uh, different careers and in different industries have different kind of technical competencies and like. But if I were to kind of distill it to things that were always important to me when I was interviewing people or when I was evaluating talent or oh, when I was yeah. evaluating performance, which may be the way to think about it, is that you know if it was leadership, uh, I was a huge believer that leaders needed to listen hard, to talk straight, and show that they care. So when I was looking at leaders – those three dimensions were, and, and, and by the way, a lot of leaders don't have all three well developed. Mm-hmm. Those that do create incredible followership, like you know, teams will follow them anywhere, uh, including if they leave. Mm-hmm. The second is that you know, I'm a big believer uh, in interviewing and assessing talent in kind of grit and humility and a willingness to learn. Uh, I, I would always ask a lot of questions if I was interviewing somebody about um, times that they'd ha- had a challenge and how do they overcome it. Right. Because grit to me, uh, like y- you want people around you that are, are going to like show up. Uh, or I heard you say, leave it on the field and you're uh, right, that's kimchi the, baby kind yeah. of. <laughs> kimchi baby. Yeah, that's my idea. Sorry, dude. Um, and and, and the, the second, you know, is humility. Because um, you don't want to work with jerks. Um, mm-hmm. and, and people that are humble – uh, always tend to um, gravitate to problems and feel comfortable solving them, but not telling people what to do. And, you know, so those become, you know, an important kind of, and then that uh, thirst for learning, intellectual curiosity, uh, you know, open to learning new things, because mm-hmm. you don't want people who are just going to pave the, the cow path and just keep doing the same. And there are a lot of people. Definitely. That it's, it's most comfortable for them just to get into a routine and not change it. And that just doesn't work in, in, in my mind, in, in life and relationships and, and in work. So, I mean, that's where I kind like of trust. I those a lot. And then, I work guess, hard, stay humble. Yeah. And something you said regarding humility of like you ask people, you know, what 
obstacles they faced and how they overcame. And I was recently, actually in the article you sent me of like the advice entrepreneurs gave over 2019. Do you oh, remember from, emailing me from that? From First Round Capital. Yeah. yeah from Josh um, one of them said it was regarding interview questions. And this woman was providing her top three like interview questions. And she says, everyone always has, which I totally agree with, an answer in their back pocket for what's an obstacle you face and how do you overcome it? Because it's a very you like classic mm-hmm. interview question. You're most likely always asked that. So she asks, what are three obstacles? Because she's like, everyone always has that one. But then they really have to think and provide on the spot. Like, okay, what are two other things? And everyone's faced challenges for the most part, but it's how you handle them. So I'm completely with you. I I, I would stay on this topic for a half hour out of an mm-hmm. hour. So it was like, that's great. Okay, so tell me about one in this context. Right. And then tell me one about that contest. And you could tell people that had the the kind of depth of character uh, with True Grit versus people who had kind of practiced or rehearsed exactly. the, the, the answer. Uh, what do you I think? thought another one of the questions that was good was, what what are some of the things that you're really good at that you don't want to do, that you don't like doing? Mm-hmm. And the inverse, which is, you know, what are some of the things that you're not good at but you're really attracted to? Because you can't believe how many times people will apply for jobs convincing themselves that they're going to do Yeah, it. Even, that's what even, they talked about in the article. Oh, did they? Yeah, yeah they did. Of like – this guy said, or female, I forget who wrote this in, but I'll ask what are things you don't enjoy doing that you're good at? And then they'll literally word the exact title of the job they're interviewing for. <laughs> now, do you realize that you're saying all of these things you don't enjoy doing is the exact role that you're sitting down here to apply for? What do you think the hardest obstacle you faced is? Uh, I've had countless. Um, so, uh, you know, the the first that comes to mind in, in terms of kind of temporal sequence is the loss of my father. That's so, what I was so say. age six, um, you know, that's crushing. He'd been ill for some time, but you know, that completely changes your mm-hmm. your world. I mean it just changes rocks everything. it. It changes everything. I think it also shaped who I am. Definitely. I think without question I have as a result, uh, you know, um, an immense amount of accountability, and I'm very comfortable with accountability, mm-hmm. uh, and that I also like to make decisions and make things move forward. And mm-hmm. so I felt an immense amount of responsibility to, to do those. You know, probably more than I actually could execute. But so I'd say that without question. Uh, I'd say, you know, foolishly applying to just one school because mm-hmm. the coach at a top lacrosse uh, said you're my you know, number three recruit and then being incredibly undisciplined and handwriting the essay and scratching <laughs> things out and turning around and i wish we could get our hands on that i i, I can visually picture because i actually whited things out and it was just two paragraphs in my <laughs> essay it was it was not um it, and he actually called me back and said you know I what have you done the uh, admissions office you know refuses to accept me i said coach you said that you have seven recruits that you get in the uva and, and i'm in your top three and so I'll rewrite it. And he goes, Judd, you know, there's Should there's no do-overs. Out. There's no do-overs. And that was one of the you know, crushing lessons of my yeah. life, which is, you know, when you when you show up, you know, be fully show up. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't ever kind of take halfway. But think about how different your life would have been had you gone to UVA. You know, it's all those things, like I think about this all the time, like what if I had gotten into Lawrenceville, which I was so upset at the time and embarrassed by, but then I would have never met Joe. You know, like you probably wouldn't yeah. have stayed with mom. If you yeah. were at UVA and she was uh, yeah. probably Lafayette. So, you know, I, I, I'm a big believer that, you know, life is about recovery. And it's, you know, mm-hmm. when, when you face adversity, how do you press on? How do you figure out? You know, so I can give you a handful of other things that were you know, challenging and how you uh, adapt to those. But I think the other part is I don't spend a lot of time thinking about the what if. Um, so it's, it's very funny. Right. I, don't, I don't connect those kind of things. Um, I, I, yeah. To me, it's just kind of, you know, I was fortunate enough that things moved in this direction and mm-hmm call it kismet and I'm damn fortunate the way it turned out right I think it was some someone asked me once when have you ever been turned down like what I forget what the exact question was but when have you not gotten what you wanted basically and I'm like Lawrenceville was oh my crushing God, I get that all the time PDA soccer yeah. Lawrenceville the sports broadcasting that I actually wanted to do like um the latest I mean, now it happens all the fucking time with like brands and stuff. And, you know, I would say I get maybe like a fifth of the things that I begin discussions with. But, you know, I I asked for an early promotion. Had I gotten that, I probably would have felt like a guilt of having to stay at Chief Morgan and wouldn't have left after the accident to do this. So it's not about what happens to you, but it's how you react to it, I think. And the other is that I um, I think you as an individual are very purposeful. And I think that 
that is a talent that I, I look for because people who are both courageous and have conviction, mm-hmm. um, they tend to bounce back from kind of uh, initial hardship or massive structural change. They figure it out. Yeah. And someone also asked now that we're speaking about me. Um, Where's that question? Oh, what would you say I was like as a child versus how I am now? Um, well, fortunately, your attire has improved dramatically. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> from, from the days of wearing Drew King's board shorts to school. Yes, it was not the best look. It, it, I thought it was the cutest damn look in the world, and you were a little tomboy, and it was absolutely mm-hmm. adorable. Um, you also were a sweaty little mess uh, as, as, as a kid. <laughs> was a, I still yeah, am a sweaty your, mess. You saw me at Amy's wedding. Your hair. Well, that's because you were dancing up a storm for six hours. Um, but I would say that that character that is common but gets expressed differently is your determination. Mm-hmm. Uh, even as a, a, a young kid, it was so clear how determined you were. And, and uh, you know the pictures that I have in my office right. of you that even your facial expressions just mm-hmm. show, you know, just unbridled, you know, d- determination uh, and also joy uh, so that you you had a very expressive way. I think that you uh, still carry those traits, but I think you've toned them down because in some yes. cases as an adult, that can become scary. Uh, yeah. as, as, as much as as much as you're fearless, yeah. you're also very caring. But, mm-hmm. you know, the the fearless side can sometimes overwhelm people. That's something certainly in my career I learned that yeah. I thought my intensity and intellectual curiosity was, was a great attribute. And I learned over time that for some people they found it, you know, frightening. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Sometimes you got to dial it back a little or put it just direct it in different things. And then I think, you know, the other com- – so I think there's more common than things that I have agree. changed. I feel like I'm the exact I, same I, person I, I, as I was I, as when a child. I, when I think about your – undying loyalty to friends mm-hmm. people around you i mean you, you are the most intense of anybody i see in terms of friends and keeping them close and doing things so i actually just to me it's the same common traits that are really yes. positive that have just evolved as you've grown older and a lot of people are curious on your thoughts of raising three daughters and being in a house with all females so i want to touch on that so I mean, it's a lot of the same questions, but we can start by how was it raising only girls? And what do you think the hardest part was being in a house with all girls? Um, So I would say it was an absolute blast. uh, And I was incredibly fortunate and never did I ever have the thought, God, I wish I had a a son. or I've always wondered that because you've never, ever once said it. And, and I never felt it. And I, and I think it's... it's. But you know, did you like, want boys? Like uh, I, I didn't have a view one way or the other, boys or girls. Because like, I joke that Joe will, we will have 10 children until there's a boy. So uh, there, are, <laughs> there are people, both men and women, that have yeah. very hard set lines about what they want. Mm-hmm. To me, it was more the act of you know, raising kids and, and having the sheer joy of what they bring. The advantages. Of ha- so one is, you know, look, having been raised by a single working mom, largely, mm-hmm. having grown up with Cindy's family. So we started dating when I was 15. Right. And mom she is had, one of three girls. She had two sisters, um, and, you know, and they were like sisters to me. Mm-hmm. That shaped how I thought about women and, 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 and raising kids. I also got to see how uh, their father, Billy Oaks, parented right. them. And he was he was one of those unbelievably uh, 100% available, caring, even though he worked his butt off. He, was, he would always be present. And he gave unconditional love. So mm-hmm. he set very high expectations in a kind of fun way. Um, but it was never a critical bone in his body, and he was just un- you know unconditionally uh, loving of them. So I think Perfect that model. I think that modeled a lot of really good behavior. And then the other part of it is you know mom's uh, mom's a perfect um, foil to, to me. I love solving problems. I love, mm-hmm. uh, and I love getting stuff done, but we approach it differently. Uh, Very differently. <laughs> and, and, and so that in some respects, it's it, it helps us in parenting too. Yeah. Because we can take different sides of things and, and, and talk it through. And so that piece was easy. 
I also never felt, you know, people talk about like, you know, some guy dating my daughter mm-hmm. kind of thing. I, th- that was fun for me to have, you know, guys around the house, but it wasn't like the most important thing. And I never felt like I had to be overly protective because I felt like you guys were really yeah. strong. You had really strong morals that you were a strong character. You didn't take crap, all, all three of you, in different ways. And so mm-hmm. I didn't, you know, I was thoughtful about, you know, you know where you're going or checking in or things like that. So... That part wasn't hard. And then the reality is, as a family, we were so close. So the stuff that we did together, it, it wasn't it wasn't gender-based. No, um, not at all. Yeah. You also raised three daughters who, you know, it's not like we were playing with Barbies 24-7 and only wearing pink tutus. So... Yeah, you, but it's, I don't, I don't, think, I don't it's, think that would have mattered, but I do think some aspect of it, like you still, you know, I think... For some dads who might be raising all girls, if they ever feel like, and I don't mean to gender, I I don't want to put people in buckets, but I'm saying like, you know, for instance, just an example, like the act of like watching sports games and being competitive is something that you specifically love. I'm not going to do gender norms. I'll just say you. And you still got to enjoy all of that with your three daughters. And so it's even me. Like I want both genders, but I definitely want my kids to be athletes. Like- I'll love them for whatever they do, but I want them to feel that passion over something that I can enjoy with them. And uh, and look at uh, so I don't know that it is the activities as much as it is the engagement uh, mm-hmm. as a parent, if that makes sense. So to it me, to, to me, it's not kind of how it gets played out, whether it was music or whether it was playing with dolls or whatever. Ever mm-hmm. to me, it's more the engagement uh, that was most important. And I think I'd be comfortable engaging whatever it is. I think no question because mom and I both grew up playing sports. We then gravitated to Princeton women's soccer and lacrosse players right. as babysitters, and we'd exactly. go to their games. and And I felt that they were incredible uh, role models, mm-hmm. so much so that I hired. I was them. literally <laughs> just about to say, so much so that you hired some of them. No, I totally agree, and and I think that was very clear. Um, and then also regarding what you were saying of how you were never concerned to an extent of like the male aspect of like bringing boys, like, you know, introducing boyfriends. It's so funny because you watch all these movies and the dads are like, I'll beat you. You know, I never ever once could imagine you like reacting that way. Or also like you're, you and mom are intimidating in and of itself of a sense, but you never like an outwardly purposeful intimidation. Like I never could picture you saying something to Joe when we first started dating. No. You know, it's just no. so funny that that's the portrayed. only time was when Maddie had a party and her friends oh, stole right, right, right. some of my bourbon out yeah. of the basement. That's I, when, that's I told them that the, their heads were going to come off if they yes. return it. Yeah. And there were a few questions regarding Joe and son-in-laws. So when did you know? And I doubt you ever have like a recollection of this. But when did you know that Joe and I would get married? Um. I don't know that I, I could even put a time frame I, I on it. I can't either. Uh, I, uh, you know, For me. It, it, was, it was clear. Look, when he came from uh, uh, Princeton High School to PDS, it was clear that there was some guy you were interested in. I yes. mean, that was quite evident. <laughs> it was also clear that as you guys spent time together, you know, seeing you guys, whether it was your senior prom or just seeing mm-hmm. you hanging around the house doing stuff, you know, how much you cared for each other and how and how good you were to each other mm-hmm. uh, in, in a early you know, relationship in an incredibly respectful way. It was evident when you guys were, you know, more than halfway across the country and you figured out how to, you know, remain together as a couple and go see each other. I mean, that to me was like, like if there was a time I was scared, it was in the middle of the winter and you're right. flying to, the you, know, th- you know, three airports and driving oh, overnight. Hell. I mean, that, that didn't yeah. make me happy. Um, but, you know, seeing your relationship evolve and then like any relationship, it continues to hopefully grow and evolve in more sophisticated ways. And so, mm-hmm. you know, now the, now the conversations that may have been adolescent or young adult conversations that were behind closed doors, I see you so often engaging in them publicly in ways that are very mm-hmm. comfortable. So it's just become almost second nature. Yeah. Which, which basically says I can't, you know, I don't no, have an answer. It's hard for me. There was like one moment where I kind of remember being like, oh, this is for sure after college thinking this is for sure who I want to spend the rest of my life with. There's not that there were doubts, but it just became very clear to me that we're adults and now this is going to be the decision. It was pretty evident to me that day on the beach when he surprised you. Oh, yes, when he proposed. (laughs) (laughs) That probably was clear when he asked you also beforehand. (laughs) Then it became clear. And what, how is it being a father-in-law now? Like, because now you do have 
kind of sons. And yeah. we can group Tyler into this whole situation. You I, know? I mean, you know, just think about um, this past weekend. Um, mm-hmm. the, the joy. I mean, go back to where we started this conversation. The joy right. that I have. One, seeing my daughters with three fabulous guys that are different in, in unique Very, ways, yeah. but also get along, you know, incredibly well. And to watch the love that each of you has for them, mm-hmm. to then see the joy that it brings mom, because she so has much. such a blast, <laughs> both collectively with that crew, but even individually in conversations that I see her having with everybody. So yeah. that that is a, is a blast. And then and then for me, it, it's just you know, I'd say it it is the role that they play in making you happy and also being part of our family. So the fact that all three of them find ways to be mm-hmm. comfortable with our family routines, because we are uh, we are a we family of traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have deep, deep-seated traditions. And so it's unbelievably nice that while each of those families and those guys have their own traditions that are mm-hmm. all different, that they're able to join ours in ways that feel so incredibly comfortable. Uh, yes. And, and, you know, watching Carl DJ is, you know, yeah. and Joe, Joe and Ty and Tyler are like humping uh, each other with their shorts off. Uh, I think, fortunately, I went to bed before. Oh, you were, that. yes, you were in bed before. Joe, were you there for when Joe did the performance of taking the jersey down uh, yeah, for the yes, Raptors? Yes, yes, yes. And- yeah, which, Magic Mike which Kyle, which, which Kyle had done before him, uh, which yes. was equally as Oh, no, but they had like a song. Yeah. So it was we, an interesting night. Um, I just want to know whether a ribbon dance came out. Then that's when it happened. And then mom started okay. doing it as well. And do you have advice on parenting at all different ages and phases? Because mom, in her episode, it was interesting that she said, I never realized how differently you have to parent each child. And I never thought about Nana my mother's mother, parenting her, me, differently than Susan, my mom's sister. So she then, I think, came to that realization as a mother of like, oh, shit, I have to parent Cammy very differently than Lucy or Maddie. Do you have any advice on that, of like navigating that? So a couple of things. I, you know, the uh, the thing that I mentioned about leadership is, is not just some corporate leadership. Mm-hmm. It, to me, parenting is about how do you exercise your authority as the leader uh, yeah. in the household. Uh, and it's and it's very much the same in terms of listening hard and talking straight and showing you care. Um, you know, getting that right balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's amazing how many parents just want to, you know, where the – you know, you, you want to have the do and the say ratio kind of balance. And a lot of parents yeah. are just all they're all they're really doing is saying and saying and saying, as opposed to modeling the behavior, or better yet, asking questions and listening. And and by the way, there's not a parent on the face of this earth that at different stages in a kid's life, no matter how many questions they got, they don't get anything back. Right. Like, hey, yeah. school, yeah. fine. Yeah. What'd you learn? Yeah. Nothing. Monosyllabic. <laughs> the other thing, uh, uh, on a humorous note. I can remember Cindy and I um, had all these rules that we come up with in terms of like, when does the baby sleep through the night? Oh, it's a 13-pound rule. Uh, when they get to 13 <laughs> pounds, they sleep through the night. That's what everybody said, which may be attributable to why Maddie was I was going to say, is that it's why like, you Maddie, gave Maddie, Maddie peanut butter to just get uh, her to sleep through the night? The, the second is that you know, developmental milestones when uh, at, in infancy uh, are worth understanding because every time that as a parent you think you're going to go, out of your head because your kid is mm-hmm. screaming because they're teething and you know what you saw with Charlie he's teething no it, I know it's just it, it's brutal I feel the same way and it, it, it just it's, it gets a point where it's like oh my god what does this ever end and, and what you have to remind yourself in six months whatever that developmental milestone is uh, will end and probably within mm-hmm. three months and then in six months you will be on a high. And you'll be convincing yourself that your infant is the most spectacular kid with no rough edges and anything that ever has to be That's corrected. That's where I am right now with Charlie. And, and then, <laughs> and, and what I was about to say, and then you got to remind yourself in six months, I know. you'll be in the depths of hell all over again. And so that just preparing just yourself for those cycles. Yeah, preparing yourself for that, that beta, those big mm-hmm. cycles. of. The only problem is as kids get older, those cycles elongate. So ages 13 to 15, yeah. you may think all three of you were different, but all three of you were. And the amazing mm-hmm. other universal truth with the three of you is, and as soon as you got your driver's license, you actually began communicating. You began connecting. It was like somehow they had liberated. Oh, it was what mom and I talked about. It was, it was like somehow you had gotten some independence yeah, that well, was liberating. Yeah, because you feel like more like an adult and less like a child. 
Yeah, and and you have some freedom and some independence. Right. And you also have to communicate where you're going. So and and so a note to self that was highly idiosyncratic. Please, parents out there, don't apply any of that. It really yeah. depends on what you're good at doing and how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, and it is true that um, different kids uh, require different parenting skills. There, there, we used to spend a lot of time talking about uh, you know how you build teams and do individuals on the team have both the skill and the will. Because mm-hmm. that requires very different coaching very or leadership. Different. So if somebody doesn't have the skill, um, you have to help kind of very detailed teach. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's not just a kind of, well, let's learn or kind of nice coaching, but it's actually building technical skills. And that's true with kids as well. Yeah. The other side is will. Uh, you, you can see um, there are you know, folks that you work with that have an immense amount of, of will and they just overcome some of the skill deficits. The same is true with, with kids that, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just kind of how they learn, but also how, how they build the willpower uh, to take setbacks. Because mm-hmm. I, I think that as a parent's job is to create resiliency so that yeah. so kids know how to, you know, cope and come back at stuff. Because your kid's going to face them no matter what. Yep. It's just a matter of how they react. What would you say your proudest moment as a father is? Mm. That's a really, and it's also hard because you don't want to choose just one with specific daughter. No, I wasn't going to. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other thing that my kids have taught me, uh, or that you learn as a parent. Um, you know, it, it's easy to do the reflexive, like your wedding or Maddie's mm-hmm. wedding. Um, I, I think that I think it's any of the um, places where I've been able to observe. Each of you do something with incredible competence, um, and, and, and that incredible competence can be just be incredibly kind to somebody mm-hmm. in an unexpected, you know, that unexpected act of kindness that is like, wow, I'm just so proud. Uh, so I, I wouldn't say there's one big momentous like, oh, you right. graduated college, mm-hmm. um, or, uh, but it's more the the kind of collective assembly of little moments of of joy and, and pride. Mm-hmm. What about specifically for me? Then you can exclude. I'm just saying. Someone else submitted that question, but this allows you if there is a moment. Yeah, I I, I think you know what I said applies to all three of you. Um, I can't, you know, I can't. There's not a sink. There's just a collection. Like I've got a, a rush That's of fair. images uh, of images coming through from, you know, seeing seeing you in PDS doing things that were remarkable, uh, you know, seeing you in PDA not playing, but mm-hmm. being so unbelievably committed uh, to yeah. doing things, um, you know, seeing you with your friends, uh, when seeing you with people who are in need when we've lost a family, mm-hmm. uh, you know, somebody's family member or others and how you, seeing the depth of, of your caring uh, when, you know, when I came home from 9-11, I mean, you, you, had the most intense reaction yeah uh and and but it made me love you tons Mm -hmm. to seeing you you know even seeing you get knocked down and you know get back up you know in the cross field and then yeah uh, you know and you're the smallest kind of smallest kid out there remember you saying to me dad did you see those freshman year dad did you see those navy girls next and i said no i didn't see this this is after the game of the tailgate it's because dad they didn't have any necks they were the biggest their heads were on on the field I remember setting size. onto that field freshman year when I was so small and just getting freaking rocked. And that was the biggest thing for me. It was like college lacrosse is just a different speed. But then your senior year, I can remember you walking off that same field in yeah. that football stadium and having lost by just one goal. Mm-hmm. And it was pretty damn close to tying them in that last second. Yeah. So that was one. I, I'd say also that, you know, seeing you progress at, at, at J.P. Morgan, mm-hmm. like, you know, when all of a sudden you come and say like, oh, boy, I'm, I'm going to, uh, they've given me BlackRock to work. It's like, holy heck. Uh, so seeing, yeah. you know, the, your, cool. your professional accomplishment. And we talked about it already. I mean, the, the courage it took to unplug uh, and make a shift to something that was amorphous, that, that, you know, lacked definition. That You know, the only way you succeed is by you applying that, you know, definition and, and skill and will. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, you got it, baby. What would you say your favorite characteristic is about yourself? Um, I, I, I'd say it's uh, it's largely around uh, problem solving. Yeah, I love I love tackling big complex things, and I love getting shit done. Like it's mm-hmm. not a, it's not an intellectual uh, 
not it's not simply intellectual curious. I, no, but I love everything. big complex stuff, and I love kind of putting things into action to create some kind of outcome. It's like causing change. Mm-hmm. I guess it's probably I, I like to cause change, which right. may drive some people crazy. <laughs> sometimes. sometimes mom, sometimes, sometimes my daughter. It's all a little crazy. But there's something that you said to me once, and I forget it. This isn't verbatim, but it's like problem complain or problem solve. Yep. And that's something I always think about. And, you know, I've said it to Joe many times, if we're bickering about something in the hat, like if something breaks in the house, I'm like, what the fuck is complaining going to do about it? Let's just fix it. Like if we sit around here and just complain, it's just going to still be broken and now we're in a shitty mood. And, and by the way, I attribute some of that, uh, a large part of it to your mom as well, because she has that. Well, she's in, a jack <laughs> That is a term I may have used in the past. We she, all use it. She can, she can tackle things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you called it execution mess um, no 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 she's an organ she's an efficient mess. efficient mess efficient mess yeah so i uh, but it, uh, where i was headed is that that powerful positive construct about mm-hmm. her desire to make positive change is uh, you know just as well developed with her we may go about it slightly different but i think actually in co- pretty complementary ways when we're at yeah. it times maybe that not but. right someone also asked what our favorite meal to cook together is and i can't think like we're not really cooking. And I always say this, like I, I wasn't, I think a lot of people in this space are like, I knew I wanted to do this from a young age when I was sitting on like the step stool next to my mother and baking. Like we didn't have that. Yeah, Food was very important to us. But to be frank, we weren't a dinner time family. Like we didn't have dinner every night together. We never had it during the weeknights. You were still working at night and we'd be eating out of Tupperware on our way to practice. And so I think for me, childhood memories Which is around, why the Suburban smelled the way it did. Yes. It was also like mom and she was like a pioneer of meal prep back in the day, if you think about it. <laughs> but I think that- Of many things. Yeah. For me, my memories around food growing up are more like grilling yep. dinners. Yep. And then also like Haven and cheesesteaks watching football. So I, it, it, it's funny. I, I think for some people- the the joy of cooking is in the act of preparing things. Right, mine's uh, an and, act and, of and, joy. And, and, and I was just going to say, I think as a family, uh, we were much more around the sheer enjoyment of the meal, definitely, uh, and the experience. So you know, mm-hmm. if we're going to be sitting watching football, let's go to Hoagie Haven and get cheesesteaks right. and uh, chuck you know, swings it's, it's and chuck all wing. that. Yeah, uh, it, it's the it was the joy of eating and eating together and sharing that. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it uh, and. It's the joy of having three guys who are great at cleaning up. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, that is very true. And, and I can unplug and just go turn yeah. on the stereo. Exactly. Speaking of food, and for our final question, what would the three ways to your heart through food be? Mm. Um, so I what, have a few guesses. Uh, okay, I want to hear the guesses, but let me, I'll, I'll take the no, first I want shot of three. No, I want you to go first. The... Uh, the first would uh, would undoubtedly be experiential, uh, and I am a, um, in some respects, a creature of habit based on loyalty. Mm-hmm. So one way to my heart would be to put me in any seat anywhere in Union Square Cafe, right? Um, because that has such deep roots. When Cindy and I were young, we were working crazy hours. We'd get out of the office late, and we would meet. Yeah, either at our apartment on 11th Street, walk a couple blocks, or go straight to Union Square Cafe, the old one, the original, mm-hmm. and sit at the bar. And it's not like there was a, 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 a like I could name a single uh, offering on on the restaurant menu. Everything. It was more the experience, just the mm-hmm. whole hospitality experience. That, and that's true both the original and at the new location. Totally, and all of Dana's so, spots. So, so way to my heart is experiential. I'd say a, a, a second one is. Um, Anything to do with peanut butter applied to just about anything yep. um, is a pretty simple. That was probably on your, your on so, somewhere you hit parade. Um, and, and a third is probably uh, I actually do. The one thing I do enjoy doing is grilling. Uh, and mm-hmm. so the way to my heart is so that act of preparation um, I can do completely completely by myself with a beer in my hand, or I could have a group of people around me having a conversation. But it actually is just yeah. this time where I can just unplug, unclutter my head, and be focused on the act of grilling. I love that too. 
so much so that I took it off of your plate a little bit. <laughs> I was going to say anything. And by the way, I think I've been I've been willing to share it too. You have been. I was going to say anything peanut butter. Um, I don't know if it qualifies as food, but like your whole routine in the morning where you go get the papers and like coffee, no matter where you are, if we're like at the beach or at home, you know what I mean? I just like every morning if I'm up and you're not there, I know that's what you're doing. And then. So that, uh, it's it's very funny. I was just talking to mom about that. For, when I wake up in the morning, I, I wake up happy. Yes, like, you lo- do. Loaded for like I'm thinking about stuff that I want to mm-hmm. do. But the routine that I love, you're absolutely right, is that first cup of coffee, and increasingly in the last year, and then meditation. And yes, find it. which and, and, you're supposed and, to do the I know. vice versa, but it's fine. I don't follow I all know. kinds of <laughs> prescribed rules, uh, as you've seen. Uh, and, and then, you know, with that coffee, going out to get newspapers, which mm-hmm. at some point I've got to get rid of that dinosaur habit because I've got every damn app on my uh, on my phone as well as my iPad. But then also getting my second cup of coffee at my little boutique place. So whether it's Small World mm-hmm. Coffee or whether it's uh, Green Planet down at the beach. It's uh, actually or, not called Green Planet. That's just what the cup says. Local Urban Kitchen? No. No. Where Green Planet. Go? On Arnold Avenue. Oh. Yeah. There's one there and a mask one. Oh, yeah. I always thought you went to Local Urban Kitchen. And then Starbucks uh, down in Florida. And by the way, that to me is a social act because I, I also feel like I know – Every barista and no, oftentimes true. people will come in so that that I don't know if that's really a, a food related way to my heart. But, that, but that's what I was just I, I feel it's like experiential. I this. And also your my third one was like you're such a grazer. Like you're such a snack. Like you'd be happy with just like grabbing a few things out of the fridge for lunch of like a thing of cheese and like a roll of salami and then like some crackers. You're just a, I always vision you like grazing around the kitchen. Pop up to the core. That's yes. what he did. And I will tell you, it's also when we're at restaurants, I think waiters and waitresses are astounded how quickly we get in and out because oftentimes we'll just order a bunch of appetizers and pick. And not all of us. You order, that's the other thing that you do. You'll order three appetizers and then you'll have like a bite of each and then you're like, I'm full. Uh, in the U.S., having traveled a lot outside of Yes, the, I know our sizes US, are pe- different. Uh, people just put so much food I know, on I know, I know. But it's just, oh, without fail, every time that is the case. But it's fine. We take it home and we eat it. Yep. Thank you so much for being on. I love you. This was so fun. I yep. love you so much. And I'm so proud of you. Thank you so much. I'm proud of you. See you. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Freckled Foodie and Friends. I thoroughly hope you enjoyed it. If you could be so kind, I would greatly appreciate a rate and or review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcast. Currently, this one's available on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please subscribe to make sure you're up to date with new episodes coming at you every Friday morning. If once a week isn't enough of me, please follow along on my most active social channel, Instagram. Find me, my unedited videos, recipes, random rants, and info for all my other social channels on there at Freckled Foodie.